Good afternoon. It is a joy to be here today. Uh, wonderful opportunity that we have to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ to praise our Father together to remember the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. I'm thankful for you all. I want to focus in here on this passage in Colossians 2 that we just read. And a, a phrase that we find in verse 2 specifically. Here, Paul describes a struggle or a conflict that he was having within himself. Uh, he says there in verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. When Paul uses this word struggle here, it's actually the same word that he uses uh, in 2 Timothy 4, 7 when he says, uh, encourages Timothy to, to fight the good fight. Uh, it's actually the same word that we see in Hebrews 12, verse 1, where it talks about us running with endurance the race set before us. This, this fight, this race, this, this competition here, Paul is describing within himself a, a struggle that he is having. It properly refers to the struggle that a contestant in the athletic uh, games or competitions might have. And so... Paul is using this word to describe an internal struggle or an intense feeling that he's having on behalf of these brethren. What, what is this uh, struggle that Paul's having? What is he so adamant about? If we look in verse 2, his desire is that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in true knowledge of God, uh, of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. He has this struggle within himself for his brethren, for their spiritual well-being. And brethren, I, I would encourage us today that we need to have that same type of struggle within us. We need to have that, that same type of, of fire and passion within us for the spiritual well-being of one another. And along with that, the phrase that I want us to focus in on is this phrase being knit together in love. We need to have a strong passion, there we go, that we might be knit together in love. Specifically as a, as a local body here, that we might have the type of relationships with one another that, that we can truly be described in this way, supporting and encouraging each other. What does it mean to be knit together in love? And how can we seek to accomplish that? The Bible uses many different illustrations to describe the local church as a close-knit unit. One of the illustrations that it uses is the illustration of a body. And many times when we think about this illustration of the body, we might think, uh, and rightly so, of Christ as head. We might think of it as a picture of the authority that we are to be following, one body under one head. But this describes more than just a doctrinal unity submitting to the authority of Christ. This also describes the type of relationships that we should have with one another. The, the close-knit cooperation that we should have with one another. If we look in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25 and 26, we see the illustration used in exactly this way. Verse 25 and 26, it says, So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. 
the body is, is knit together, is formed together in such a way that all the members have the, the same care for one another. If you are in your room at night and, and you accidentally stub your toe, uh, your entire body is going to react. Not, not just your toe, your entire, entire body, your mouth might scream out, you're, you're going to start hopping on one leg. If, if you eat a nice warm meal, your entire body is going to respond to the nourishment that it is receiving. And that is a picture of the type of relationship that we should have with one another. That we should be so in tune to one another's spiritual well-being that the entire body reacts when there is a need. That we are there to support and to encourage, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and to mourn and weep with those who are weeping. In a sense, you can think of our relationship with one another as brethren as a one flesh relationship. You know, normally we think uh, that phrase, one flesh, used in the scripture is used of the marriage relationship. Uh, And yet, when we talk about being one body, we're really talking about a one flesh relationship here, aren't we? An intimate understanding of one another's struggles and successes, of our joys and sorrows. Truly being part of one another's lives. That's the picture that we have here as well. If we look in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, we read of this illustration again. It says the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Being fitted and held together. You think about how the body is constructed. We have tendons and we have ligaments that that hold our muscles to our bones and holds our, our bones together to one another. We have joints that are interlocking. to to keep the entire body together. And if we cease to be fitted and held together properly, it's going to cause a great deal of pain. It's going to keep us from functioning properly. You you tear one of those ligaments, you tear one of those tendons, uh, and that is going to be extremely painful. Your body is not going to be able to function like it should. Uh, And this word knitted and held together is actually the same word that we see there in Colossians 2.2 being knit together, closely intertwined with one another. I saw this picture uh, a while back, and I, to me it really illustrates the, this concept of what we're talking about. Uh, I don't know if you can see the caption here, if that's clear, but it says, Hugs Keep Us Alive. Uh, and here we, we have the, the rib cage holding all of the internal organs in and the internal organs hugging one another to, to stay close together. Our entire body is is packed tightly together, and if it ceased to be so, if your internal organs cease to hold to one another and they start moving around and start going into places where they're not supposed to be, your body is going to be in quite a bit of trouble. And yet this idea of being knitted and held together is exactly what we're talking about here. Having such a a close-knitness that we are there to support and encourage one another to not simply just have a business relationship with one another, not just simply be distant co-workers in the body of Christ, but to truly be part of one another's lives so that we can function effectively in supporting and encouraging one another, helping each other grow, and in doing the Lord's work together. There are many other illustrations of this type of relationship that we are to have. The Bible also talks about the church as a family. We call one another brethren, brothers and sisters. And those aren't just uh, titles that we use, you know, well, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. Those are descriptive words of the type of relationship that we want to have with one another. 
In Luke chapter 8, you remember when Jesus' mother and brothers came uh, to, to get him. What he says here in verse 20 and 21, it says, And it was reported to him, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Here not only do we see that our spiritual relationship with one another as fellow servants of God makes us family, fellow children of God, what we see here is that Jesus says that our spiritual family should, in some cases, uh, supersede our physical family, that, that our spiritual family has a, a greater importance in some cases. Luke chapter 14, remember, Jesus says um, that anyone who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy. It is extremely important that we give emphasis to the spiritual relationships that we have with one another. And that may include, hopefully it does include, our physical family. Um, but we see the greatness of the responsibility that we have to one another in the family of God. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, as Paul is instructing Timothy here, he says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to younger men as brothers. The older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Do we truly treat one another as brothers and sisters, as, as mothers and fathers? You know, if, if I am interacting with my mother, I'm going to do more than just kind of smile and wave at her. <laughs> uh, if my father came to visit, uh, you know, I'm going to do more than just kind of carry on small talk. Uh, about the weather. Uh, I, I'm going to have a, such a relationship with them that I truly want to share my life with them. I'm going to have a trusting relationship with them. I, I'm going to be willing to open up about the things that are going on in my life with them. I'm going to, to have a more intimate relationship. That is the description that we have of the way that we should treat and interact with one another. And this doesn't come naturally. It's not that we, we just all of a sudden recognize that we're brothers and sisters and then all of a sudden we magically have this close relationship. That's something that has to be worked on, that has to be cultivated, that we have to be willing to open up, we have to be willing to share our lives with one another, to be part of one another's lives, to be there to support and encourage one another. It's something that we have to work at, that I know I need to work at. There's a few other things that we notice in the scriptures that, that emphasize this type of relationship. One thing that we see time and time again throughout the epistles is the idea of a holy kiss. You may be familiar with Romans 16, 16, one of the places where we see the, the phrase churches of Christ. Uh, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. But that's not just an isolated passage. What we see is that at the end of many of Paul's letters, he instructs them to greet one another with a holy kiss. At the end of 1 Corinthians, at the end of 2 Corinthians, at the end of 1 Thessalonians, we again see greet one another with a holy kiss. Evidently, it was something that he thought was important to, to end his letters with. In fact, Peter in 1 Peter 5 verse 14 says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Now, we understand that their culture at that time is different than our culture now, that this might have communicated something slightly different than uh, it would communicate today if I went up and, and pecked Kyle on the cheek. Um, but the point being made here is a, a principle that applies to us every bit 
as much today as it applied to today. And the principle is that of having a closeness and a love, a familial relationship. To them, this type of greeting was an affectionate and intimate greeting, an expression of brotherly love, the way that you, one might greet their own family, that one would greet their closest friends. In the same way, we need to have that type of greeting, that type of relationship with one another. That might be more than simply a, a holy handshake. That might be a, a holy hug. Uh, that we don't just have some distant, casual relationship that, you know, I, I share the, the church compartment of my life with you, uh, but that I truly share my entire life with you. That's the type of relationship we need to be striving to develop. I don't know about you all, but in the, in the Huggins household, uh, when we go to visit my family down in Alabama, there used to be an unwritten rule that when anybody comes in the house, they had to hug everybody before they sat down. <laughs> uh, nowadays, there's about 60 of us, so it doesn't work as well. Uh, but but the, the same type of atmosphere prevails, that we have a close bond together. Well, that's exactly what Paul and what Peter are urging of these brethren, to greet one another in that way. And when he says greet one another with a holy kiss, because of our cultural mindset today, we might look at holy kiss and we'll say, think that he's saying, well, uh, it's to be pure, not an impure kiss. Well, uh, to them, this was common uh, it, it, in, in such a relationship. I think probably what he's saying when he says a holy kiss is that this type of relationship is what's going to set you apart from the world around you. Remember John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, when he says that all will know you by your love for one another. It's holy in the sense that this type of relationship sets them apart, makes them different from the world around them. And so that needs to describe us in the way that we interact with one another as well. A fourth area that we can consider as well is the idea of what the Bible says about fellowship. Turn with your Bibles uh, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 at the very outset of the New Testament church. Notice what is said of these brethren starting in verse 42. Acts 2 and verse 42 it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Look, look as well as starting in verse 44 it says in those and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. You know, to talk about the pattern of the New Testament church, uh, you know, there are a lot of different things that we can talk about as, as being patterns of the New Testament church. But from the very outset, something that is very clear about the New Testament church is the type of fellowship and communion that they had with one another. Look at all these words that describe this togetherness that they had. Verse 44, uh, they were together. They had all things in common. Verse 45, they were sharing with one another. Verse 46, with one mind uh, as well, taking their meals together. That needs to describe us. If we want to follow the pattern of the New Testament church, then that needs to describe us. We need to have that type of camaraderie, that type of fellowship, that type of togetherness. Um, and many times today when we think about the word fellowship in a religious context, we, uh, some might think of 
you know, people getting together to have a pizza party or to play basketball together. Um, and not, not that the word itself, fellowship, couldn't apply to those things, but when the Bible talks about fellowship, uh, it's not talking about fellowship in the sense of us being fellow pizza lovers or us being fellow basketball players or us being fellow Steelers fans. Uh, it's talking about us being fellow Christians, fellow children of God, fellow workers, fellow laborers, fellow servants. Biblical fellowship is a sharing in the work of the Lord. But having said that, uh, if we're going to be effective in sharing in the work of the Lord, uh, we might be very much benefited by some team building. Uh, if the only times we ever interact with one another is when we are actively in the work of the Lord, then we're not going to be building the type of relationships that we need with one another. We do need to spend time together outside of these four walls. You, you think even, even businesses today recognize the value of team building. When they take aside time from the work that they're doing simply to, to build the type of trust, the type of relationships that they need to be effective in that work. Uh, and I'm not saying that that team building would be a work of the church itself. What I'm saying is that we as individuals need to be building the type of relationships that when it does come to working together, we can do so effectively in the work of the Lord. So very clearly, uh, in many illustrations, in many statements throughout the scripture, we see the importance of this close-knitness among us. Well, what is going to challenge that type of relationship among us? What is it that, that threatens to pull us apart? And let me go ahead and put out there one thing that I think is a challenge for us, something that, that is neither um, right nor wrong. There, there is a great deal of distance between many of us. Uh, many of us live more than an hour apart. And so we already have that uh, threatening uh, our day-to-day -day interaction with one another. Our, our communities that we live in are far removed from one another. Uh, and if geography is already working against us, we, we need to, to make sure all the more that there aren't spiritual forces that are pulling us apart. And so what are some of the spiritual forces that may threaten to pull us apart? I think, first of all, the distractions of life are a big thing that keep us from developing these type of relationships with one another. Look in Luke chapter 10, verse 41 and 42. You remember uh, Jesus' interaction with Mary and Martha here. And in this context, uh, we see that Jesus says that Martha was distracted with much serving. Um, you, know, you think much serving, is that a bad thing? Well, no, in a sense, much serving can be a very good thing. It's, it's not that Martha was engaged in some evil thing or some wicked thing here. Uh, providing for Jesus, providing food, providing lodging, th those were important and good things. But notice what Jesus says to her. It says, But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You know, there are many good things that we can be involved in from day to day. Uh, things that are innocent, that, that are, are wholesome. Um, and yet, if we're not careful, they can draw away our time and our energy from what is truly most important, most needed. 
and they can draw us away from one another. What is it that may threaten to distract you in your life? Uh, to keep you from developing the type of relationships, first of all, with God and also with his children that we need to be developing. Maybe sports, it may be school activities, hobbies, household projects, uh, extra jobs that, that were working. You, you fill in the blank, whatever it is that may be distracting. And these are not evil things. These may be good things. And yet, we need to make sure that they're not distracting us from developing the type of relationships with God and with his people that we need to be developing. That we're not neglecting the, the good part here. Neglecting things like our assembling together, our, our Bible study, our evangelistic efforts, visiting hospitality and serving our, our brethren in different ways. But another thing that may threaten to pull us apart is companionship with the world. Here we see that we are developing these type of relationships, we're just not developing them with God's people. We see this was a struggle for the Corinthians. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Here in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul is addressing a barrier to his relationship with the Corinthians. You notice there in verse 11 and 12, he says, Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Paul's saying, I'm open. I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. I want to have this type of a relationship with you. And yet, you're being held back here by your affections. What is he talking about? Well, if we look, starting in verse 14, he describes what is holding them back. He tells them, do not be bound together or unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Here, all those words that we see there, uh, the, the yoke, the partnership, the fellowship, the harmony, the, the communion and agreement together, those are all words that should describe our relationship with one another. That we are to, to be yoked together with believers, with those who are, are going the same direction as us. And yet, if we have that type of fellowship and relationship with the world, if our affections are more attached to those who are going in a different direction, it is going to drag us away from the Lord. Uh, and this doesn't mean that we shouldn't be developing friendships with the world. Jesus was a friend with tax collectors and sinners. If we're going to be an influence upon the world around us, we certainly need to be re reaching out um, and, and developing relationships. But what Paul is saying here is that we need to be careful that our closest bonds in life are not attached to people who are going to draw us away from the world. Um, that those who we are truly yoked with, those we have this type of close-knit relationship with, are those who are going to help us in our spiritual walk and not draw us farther away from the Lord. And so, brethren, that needs to describe us, that yoke, that fellowship. And we need to make sure that we aren't being drawn away by investing ourselves fully in relationships that are not drawing us closer to the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, Evil companionships corrupt good morals. James 4 and verse 4 says, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. 
We need not to deceive ourselves. If those who we are closest to in this life are people of the world, uh, then it should not come as a surprise if we are closer to the ruler of this world than to our Heavenly Father. We need to be closest with the people of God, people that are going to help us in our spiritual walk. Our common bond with Christ needs to be the most firm foundation for any friendship. Um, if, if we find it more, uh, more easy to develop a relationship based on common interests and common hobbies in this life and not building friendships and relationships on a common foundation in Christ, then maybe our priorities are not what they should be. But also, another thing that threatens to pull us apart is our own fleshly desires. James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, notice what James writes. He says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. When we allow selfishness uh, and selfish lust and desires to, to dominate our lives, they are going to do great damage to our relationships with others. Many times conflicts among us first arise because we have failed to address the conflict within we failed to conquer the, the war of fleshly lust within our own members. If you look at Galatians 5, in the passage where it talks about the lust of the flesh, if, if you take the time to read all the different things that he talks about there, notice how many of them relate to our relationship with one another. Let, let's look at that passage for just a moment. Galatians 5. Uh, starting down in uh, verse 19, he begins this list. He talks about immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Uh, but then he says, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. Think about how many of those, I, I think it's over half of these, have to do with our relationship with one another. When we allow the flesh, our, our selfishness, to take control, it is going to tear us apart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we talked about this illustration of the body earlier. And before he describes the common care that we should have for one another, in uh, verse 25 and verse 26, he describes some dysfunctional pictures of the body earlier on. Verse 15 and 16, he says, If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? As he goes down in verse 21, he gives another perspective. He says, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. What, what do we see in this dysfunctional body? We see one member of, of the body... Uh, standing up here and saying, well, if, if I can't be an eye or if I can't be a hand, then I'm not going to be a part of the body. And the other part comes along and says, well, fine, we don't need you anyway. That, that, that's this, this picture that we have. And what, what happens if one part of your body decides that it's just going to serve itself? 
that the hand gets tired of picking up the food to put it into the mouth. Uh, you know, that, that the, the feet get tired of actually getting you out of bed in the morning to, to do what, what needs to happen. If, if parts of your body start just serving themselves instead of serving the well-being of the entire body, it, it is going to crumble. It's going to fall apart. And so, brethren, one thing that is going to tear us apart quicker than anything else is a selfish desire for our own fulfillment. Only when we have a genuine care for one another can the body function properly. If members begin to selfishly serve themselves, the body will fall apart. We must have the attitude that I am not here for me. I am here for you. So what is it that is going to hold us together? First and foremost, Colossians 2 and verse 2 says we are knit together in love. We are going to be held together by a common love. Look with me in Philippians chapter 2. We just mentioned this uh, destructive nature of of the selfish, self-serving attitude. But look at the opposite picture here in Philippians 2. Starting verse 2. Paul writes, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Here we see this description of unity, this common love that they share, and he goes on to describe that love in verse 3 and 4. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. This attitude of Christ that we read up here, that is not focused on self, not on what you can do for me, but is focused rather on your interest, on your needs, that I'm going to be more in tune to what is going on in your life and what you need spiritually than what I'm wanting to give. That attitude is going to, more than anything else, knit us together. Help us be this type of close-knit family that God wants us to be. This picture of of the body that we saw in 1 Corinthians 12, having the same care for one another. Within the body, there aren't members of the body that serve and then other members that are just served. What we see is that every member of the body is serving the needs of the rest of the body. That's the picture that we have here. And if every one of us determines that we are going to be more in tune to the needs of someone else, if every one of us determines that we are going to serve, then this crazy thing happens. Everyone is served. If everybody determines that I am going to encourage, then everyone is encouraged. If everyone determines that I am going to give of myself, I'm going to sacrifice of myself to to help you spiritually be the best that you can be, then all of us are going to be fulfilled. All of us are going to be built up. What causes the body to crumble is when I'm looking for you to serve me, and that's my focus. We need to make sure that we are rather focused on what we can give. And you may think, well, well, wait, but others aren't serving my needs. Somebody needs to step up and have the attitude of Christ to determine that it doesn't matter if others are going to serve my needs. I am going to be in tune to their needs. And that's going to be contagious. 
And that is going to help us all cultivate that type of attitude. It doesn't matter if others are doing it or not. That is what Christ did. That's what Christ has called me to do. But along with this is the common goal that we share. We talked about being yoked together. Um, the reason that that unequal yoke doesn't work is because they're going in different directions. One is pulling somewhere else, but the equal yoke works because we are both pushing in the same direction towards the same goal. Look here in Philippians 1 and verse 27. We read here, it says, Only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Uh, down in chapter 2 and verse 2, we already saw at the end there, intent on one purpose. This unity, this one mind, we are all thinking in the, the same direction. We are all striving together in the same direction. We are all intent on the same goal, on the same purpose. And when we have our eyes set on the same goal, we are going to be able to help one another. Uh, we're going to be able to have a, a unity in pressing towards that goal. It's going to produce a, a teamwork and a camaraderie within us. When we are all passionate about spreading the gospel, about saving the lost, about defending the faith, about encouraging the weak and doing the work of the Lord, we are going to naturally be able to, to bond together in that common goal that we share, that common yoke that we are laboring under. In Philippians 2, verse 25, Paul describes someone that he had this type of working relationship with in Epaphroditus. Notice how he describes him here. Uh, in verse 25 it says, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister, my need. Um, he calls him his brother, his, his fellow child here his fellow worker or laborer for a common master, his fellow soldier for a common heavenly command. And so when we are focused on our heavenly father together, we, that's going to make us brothers and sisters. When we are focused on our heavenly master together, that's going to make us fellow laborers, fellow servants. When we are focused on our heavenly commander and king, Together. That's going to make us fellow soldiers in his kingdom. And that common love and that common goal needs to show itself in a common effort. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, that we already referenced earlier with the illustration of the body, it says, The whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. How is the body going to be built up? How is the body going to grow? It's when each and every member has this attitude. And each and every member is doing its work, is putting forth that effort to serve the needs of the whole. It, it doesn't work when just one or two do that. It requires that each and every one of us have that same commitment. Because unfortunately... You can't get close to me unless I let you get close to me. I can't get close to you unless you're willing to get close to me. And I think conceptually, most, most all of us would, would readily agree that this is the type of relationship we want to have with our brothers. 
that we want to have a, a brother and sister relationship, that we want to have this common and clo- close bond with one another. And, and we look at that as an ideal and we say, yes, that would be great. And we say, well, but, but nobody's invited me over to their house lately and, and nobody's really opened up to me about their life and, and nobody's you know, taking initiative to develop this type of relationship with me. So I, I'm just kind of waiting here for somebody to come along and, and start developing that type of relationship. That's not how it works. Now, if we all want that relationship, we're all, all going to have to start taking some steps to develop that type of relationship. And I may have to, to take some initiative in striving to develop that relationship with my brother. We each need to take a responsibility upon ourselves to do what we can do to knit ourselves together with one another, to develop this type of closeness with one another. We've been studying in Hebrews, and uh, you remember uh, earlier in Hebrews 3, verse 13, read that we are to encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of us will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Later on, we're going to cover in Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. It says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This command to encourage one another day after day, this command to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, it wasn't just made to a few of us. It, it wasn't just made you know, to, to church elders and deacons and preachers or, or to people who have this gift in the body. This is a command given to each and every one of us. That each and every one of us need to actively consider how we can stimulate each other to loving good deeds. How we can encourage each other from day to day. That, that means that each day, each week, I need to be actively giving thought to how I can develop this type of relationship with my brother and how I can build up, how I can encourage, how I can show love, how I can stimulate others to love and good deeds. That means when I come through these doors that I'm not sitting down and saying, okay, encourage me. Uh, you know, because when that's my attitude, then when the, the song leader is, is off key and, and when the preacher preaches too long and, and when you know, the, the heater uh, makes funny noises. And, you know, th- then, well, I, I just wasn't very encouraged today. Now, when my attitude is, what can I do to encourage? What can I do? I'm considering how I can stimulate to loving good deeds. And that's all of our attitude. And we are going to be built up. We are going to be encouraged. We're going to be the type of body, the type of close-knit group that God wants us to be. Are you knit together in love with your brethren today? That's not something that that just happens magically. That's something that has to be developed and has to be worked on. What are we doing? What am I doing to develop that type of relationship? I know that it's something that I need to work on a lot, um, that I need to improve on. But if we all commit to working on it together, then we can grow together, we can function together, we can be effective in the Lord's work together the way that God designed for his body to be. 
First and foremost, though, before we can develop this type of bond with one another, we, we need to put on the yoke of Christ. Our fellowship with one another comes from our fellowship with God. And if today you recognize that you are not in fellowship with God, that either you have allowed some sin to creep into your life that is separating you from the Lord, you need to repent of that and confess it in a public way. The body here, the family here, wants to help you. We want to build you up. We want to encourage you. We want to help you have the type of relationship with God and, and with us that God wants you to have. And if you recognize that you've never entered into that saving relationship with Jesus, by God's grace, you can confess your belief in Jesus as the Son of God today. You can have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism. You can bury the old man of sin and be raised to walk in newness of life. You can be part of his family. You can be part of his body. And you can look forward to an eternity and a perfect fellowship relationship with all those who are part of the family and the kingdom of God. Do you need to make a change? Today, if you do, we ask that you'll let us know at this time.